So I love telling the story of the time I was on an airplane going from Los Angeles to Vancouver, and I was sitting next to a man and a woman, and they struck up a conversation about the current election, which I think at the time was、uh, Obama versus、uh, Clinton. And you know, I was sort of passively listening; I wasn't that interested. But at one point, the woman was talking about Obama, and she said, "Oh, that Obama, he's a socialist." And she whispered the word socialism on an airplane as if it was an offensive term, and that really stuck with me because I just thought, here, here you have this word socialism, and all of its, and that's a very loaded word as we all know.、Um, but the idea that she felt that it was such a horrible word that you had to whisper it on an airplane struck me as as odd.、Uh, and the more I traveled, the more I realized that this is a really targeted word. But I think we should break down, you know, communism. Is like a commune. Socialism is is thinking about society as we know it. And I thought we should like maybe talk about the different sort of ideas behind the the actual words communism, community,、um, and examples of different communities. Right. Okay. You know, because ultimately it's about being on a commune and taking care of your people. Right. So both the fundamentals of the words communism and socialism are are community. Right. 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 So, so, and I'm trying to think in terms of the communities that stand out for me. Apart from, of course, the religious or various cultural communities you have in 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 Toronto、uh, and in Canada, which is the the community that always、uh, stands out to me is what I would call the Amish or the Mennonites. Now, the they are a community of.、Um, They look like old-fashioned people with their buggy carts and,、uh, uh, you know, something like out of the early 19th century.、Uh, very successful in farming and in the in 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 all the trade in all the trades, and、um, sort of the, the 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 towns they live in、uh, are very interesting, like Saint Jacobs uh, out uh, just outside、uh, of Toronto,、uh, up Highway Eight. So I, I just find that community、um, interesting because they almost refuse to be、uh, changed at the pace of everything else around them. They, they they obviously do adopt things as they go along, like、uh, but it's almost like on their own terms. And, and they don't subscribe to capitalism at all. They have an internal point of reference. Which they do not compromise, and the, the pace at which they take on new things is different, as opposed to just.、Uh, they don't even really use the modern-day banking system. I mean, I mean, I think they, some of them do, but not all of them. They're not. They have their own、um, almost currency or need for money because so much of their needs are taken care of as a society. Right. Right. They don't rely on the debt system. That、right. So many communities rely on. Right, and then one of the very interesting things I, I I heard about them is like you know their 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 lack of use of machinery and how it makes farming more inefficient. And then their perspective on it was the fact that shared labor and work is almost a form. But the of, Mennonites do use tools. Yeah,、tools. they use tools, but probably they do not. They use electricity. 
they do but 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 still not as much and what that results in is more people having to work the same field but the one statement that always stands out for me is that you know shared work is a form of entertainment for them it's a, like a form of community for them yeah. right but if you could take that and apply it to an, an urban setting um these are things like social services to provide for the less needy of your community right so forms of of communism could be considered the taxation system that we have in canada we have you know obviously a democracy obviously we have capitalism but we also tax our economy and put it back into the places that need most right so that's sort of what the idea of a commune or community is fundamentally is this sort of circle you know everybody's included no one's kind of left behind now obviously some people have been seen on the average right which is like a piece of meat in society going back to what you were saying about uh there's no there's no um incentive to work hard right right why do you think the Amish and the Mennonites have incentive to work hard well their incentive from what i understood um from how the amish look at it is their incentive to work hard is not about uh, surpassing each other on an individual basis it, it's more about the, the the collective efforts and uh, the time they spent together working and um the, uh, the, the sort of one of the traditions that i i know that the amish have is if, if somebody's barn uh, burns down or they they have a problem everybody comes together and they rebuild the barn um so they almost do that without cost would they, you say that our barn as a society is currently burning <laughs> our barn is burning yes it is <laughs> and it we is. collectively need to come together to figure out how to put the fire out correct and so that sort of that's the idea behind these these trigger words communism and socialism it's literally about okay how are we going to work together as a society to make sure that there isn't an extreme divide between the powerful and you know the oppressed right and i think the extreme divide is honestly already here it's, it is you know right yeah right yeah so and then the question is like you know how, how good that is and then um so so that's why i've been thinking about these things and then um you know as i said um it's i draw inspiration from that great community and honestly uh, one of the very interesting things about them is they have so many people visiting them uh when you go to the farmers market at st jacobs you even spend more than half an hour just trying to park your car uh because it's going to be so many people from all over just visiting the farmers market or trying to have some of their well, that's food supporting local right yeah. going back to what i was saying about supporting instead of supporting a, a large chain grocery store go to your local markets buy from local farmers right 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 um yes so the question i guess that's it's so interesting i mean as a concept but the question is um how do you actually make it happen and that is one of the examples of uh, people who actually well I, th- i think the important thing about uh communism is to properly research it because i really think that people have a very uh biased and one-sided view and opinion of what communism actually is and when you try and have a conversation about the different sects of communist sects not facts of communism uh it it becomes interesting because every country had its own version yep of 
the concept of you know of this loaded term, this loaded word. Yeah, the loaded word. The co- communism was some, some sometimes called socialism or this you know the socialist republic. But what's interesting is how it was branded to gain control of the proletariat. So the proletariat is the working class. They're the most. They're the voting public. So if you have a democracy, it's usually your your middle like you know that has the the bulk of the votes. Right, we're right. like the working class or the or the middle class. There's more people in the middle class than at the top, in, in you know, absolutely of the rich. Right, so we have to realize that strictly by numbers we have the power. Right. Imagine if tomorrow all of the fast food workers decided not to go into work. Right. Right. Think yeah. about the impact that would yep. have. Yep. Yep. Uh, people don't realize just how how powerful that is, but what. Where the hypocrisy lies, I just want to take a minute to talk about the hypocrisy in communism. Um, is once the power was achieved, communism was never actually reached. So when we talk about the horrors of communism, we're actually talking about um, uh, totalitarian government, mass genocide, uh, basically a war against their own people. And at the end of the day, the pe- the people of Russia or of the USSR were better off under that. Under that leadership, right, they're actually much, much worse off. So the the idea is that in true communism, the people would be taken care of, would be um, better off than they are under the press. Right, and almost. I mean, there there are so many words for this. There's the words of social democracy. The question yeah. is, what happens in Northern Europe in countries like Denmark, Denmark. Sweden? Finland, Norway. Like so, yeah. so you know what? Maybe those countries are already there in a certain way. I mean, those countries are pretty innovative. They've got small populations that have a huge impact in terms mm-hmm. of products and quality, mm-hmm. and yet they enjoy one of the some of the highest standards of living in the world. And they, like you said, the taxation is high, but there's certainly something Poverty to show. Poverty is low. There's something to show for it. So. Um, Uh, so, so uh, I've, I've I've been thinking of uh, it like that, right? And uh, uh, so, you know, I was just wondering. So they call themselves social democracy, I guess. Most of yeah. those countries, right? But going back to what I was saying, um, Marx never argued that capitalism and communism are binary. They don't work against each other. They actually have to work together. And that's what a lot of people don't understand when they hear the word communism. Communism isn't about an all-powerful government. It's not about everybody making the same money. It's not about uh, zero incentive to get ahead in life. It's, it's none of those things. And people would view themselves a service reading a little bit into communism before the Bolsheviks took power, because. Fundamentally, it was about getting the votorship of the proletariat, of the working class, okay. and making and making. I hear you. So here's a question I'm going to ask you: Do you think the Chinese have got it right? Because <laughs> no, but I don't think that the Chinese is a communist country. I think that they call themselves that to get away with being a horrible totalitarian government that enslaves their own people to produce. Ma on mass for the entire world, and they have no labor laws, no unions, and uh, really no, uh, not a strong working class. So communism is all about the working class. Uh, I don't think that China is about the working class. I actually think China is far too corporate um, and enslaves their people far too much to be actual communism. So, I think it's all marketing. 
So it is not a success story in China. No, and North Korea, I mean, the idea that people think of North Korea as a communist country is ridiculous to me. And it shows to me just how well-branded capitalism has branded communism. They've done such a good job branding uh, these countries as communists because it's it's like it sounds good, but they've also uh, confused it with fascism. I think communism and fascism are painfully confused in modern day society. I think that we've ex- sort of blindly accepted that the two are the same and they are fundamentally different. I think once you have an all-powerful government and you lose democracy, you do not have communism. I can't stress that enough. You cannot have true communism without democracy. And I just want to take a second to quote from the book that was written about my great-grandfather. Um, one of the most important lessons to be learned from the collapse of the communist state of Eastern Europe is how to maintain an atmosphere of democratic discussion and debate. And I think it's really important to just realize that as soon as you're oppressing your people, you are no longer communist. And China oppresses their people, North Korea oppresses their people, and the minute you try and say, oh, that's a communist country, um, it's just a lie. So I, I actually think that America has branded communism so well in its in its country that even mentioning the word to an American makes them completely volatile in ways that I would have never expected. Because again, I grew up, uh, you know, thinking that communism was about you know unions, fair trade, um, health and safety laws, right, employment law. Um, the, you know, a living wage, a sustainable, you know, lifestyle. If you are middle class, you should be able to afford a house, right? That those principles. That's communism, right? Let's create a society where everybody in Canada, if they have a, you know, a middle class job, they can afford a house somewhere. That's communism. But the, the way that it's being painted today, it's it could not be further off base. Okay, very interesting definitions, and I mean that's uh, that's a, that's an awesome um, way to look at it, uh, and uh, you know I think that's something that a lot of people aspire to. Um, But most people are confused about what it actually right. is, and are are also uh, not willing to have the conversation, even with somebody who is a living, breathing example of what communism represents. Right? right. I am a fourth generation, so those values have been passed on from generation to generation. Right. Um, and no, I don't believe that the government should have all the power, and I don't believe that everybody should make the same wage no matter what they do. Right? That's not, that's not what I was brought up. That's not my communist. Right. It's not what I was raised on. Okay. So it's important to understand that it's not one thing. Um, it's a lot of different things, and there's a lot of flaws uh, in how communism was actually executed. Okay. Right. Okay. But it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Right. <laughs> Understand. I mean, um, or, you know, on the one hand, countries like you know China and even Russia, they have a lot of innovation to show, even during that whatever period it was, uh, uh, and way of working. Like there are a lot of great products, and there's a lot of space travel, space travel, technology. technology so well, it was just a power. It was just a, a power struggle between yeah. Soviet Union and 
you know, the West. Yeah. It was just who, who was going to get to the moon yeah. first. Yeah. Wins, right? Yeah. Or get to space first. Wins. And so, yet those systems did produce uh, some fantastic results. Yeah, but they also starved their own people while doing it. So right. there's got to be a better way, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> so that's uh, really interesting. And, and uh, I just want to end this uh, uh, today by asking which part of the world or which country do you think um, draws most inspiration or appears to be closest to the type of values that we've been talking about here. Uh, is it Northern Europe? Yeah, or? I would say Northern Europe is the closest to what a true, uh, let's say, socialist, let's dull it down, socialist society would look like. Um, as you were saying, they, uh, they have an even distribution of wealth. Um, I think their food, if you go to Europe, their food is a lot less corporate. Than our food here in this part of the world. Okay. Um, most countries in Europe, they genetically modified ingredients have to be labeled. It's very rare that you find them. Uh, they don't have GMOs. They don't have like Monsanto. The regulations on Monsanto are a lot stricter over there. Um, they just do things differently there. They're right. So, so you you're saying but, that Northern Europe basically embodies. Um, some of these concepts. Yeah, they've made, uh, you know, drugs criminalized all of all drugs, yeah. right? So they have a very tolerant criminal um, uh, punishment and a, like a, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, you say a criminal, the, 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 you're saying the processes of uh, um, like sort of... Uh, uh, yeah, they're not, they're not hard on, on crime. Right. right, they're a more tolerant society and yet, where they and don't, yet they don't those, want to overcrowd their prisons. And yet those societies remain uh, some of the safest in the world, in spite of all exactly. of that. Exactly, and I call it the safety tax, and that's what I call Canada's taxation. People always complain about how high our taxes are, and I, I'm not saying that they're not high. Yeah. However, uh, we also do live in a very safe part of the world, so I, I'm all for taxation if my taxes are going to good things and not going into the hands of corrupt politicians. Right. That's also not communism, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Supposed to go back into society and, and make society a better place and work as a better place. Yeah, and and I suppose <laughs> Canada so far is doing a, a better job than most countries still, right? I, yes, it is. It has room for improvement, but it is doing better than than a lot of countries. Yeah, um, yeah. Some very close to us, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, that's a great place to end this uh, uh, talk uh, for, for for now, and uh, we'll come back um, with some more ideas. Bye for now. All right, welcome back. Uh, I just wanted to sort of ask you a couple questions about your impressions of communism growing up and the things that you've heard about communism. Well, you know, communism, I've spoken to a lot of people about it and uh, especially the people from the former USSR or the Soviet Union and generally what I understood from it was that it was uh, where the government owned everything and controlled everything but you were given access to all your basic needs and then uh, it, it was quite an equitable way of living um, uh, basically, everybody had all their basic needs met, and uh, there is was... that what you've heard about communism? Because there's a lot of uh, negative connotations around the term. So, 
Like, have you ever had somebody get worked up? And, uh... Well, yes. I mean, the very same people uh, would get worked up in the sense that what it said was it does not create inspiration for you to achieve more, right? Like the idea that somebody who's... Okay, a... So where was the example of everybody in the society making the same money? Like, who, who, how, how was that explained to you? Like, for example, like what some of the Russian folks I spoke to said was like a plumber and a medical doctor would possibly be earning like, you know, similar amount of money and living in, you know... I don't actually uh, have any concrete evidence of that happening in the U.S. Like, the USSR was terribly complex, and actually, the Bolsheviks starved their own people, right? So, people didn't really get their needs met because they were being starved to death. But a lot of people don't know how complex communism has been throughout the ages, and they only know, like, a very limited perspective from, normally, the Russian or the USSR communism, right? Right. So so one of the things that I always ask Jillian, actually, and I ask this from some of my Russian friends, is there was the big USSR, and did somebody do this to your country? Did somebody actually break you up into little okay. pieces? And what is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, go ahead. And what one of the things, when they say no, actually no, if it was good enough, it would not have broken up anyway. So this thing was unsustainable, and... I mean, for in my, in my experience, whenever I bring up the word communism, people have a very, very uh, passionate response to it. So just to give you my background, I was raised by a card-carrying communist, and um, I am fourth generation communist, okay? But it's South African communist. So uh, when I grew up, I was taught that you don't judge somebody by the color of their skin. Every person is created equal. Um, my great-grandfather orchestrated mass uh, labor strikes, both with the Afrikaners and the uh, native black people of South Africa. So I always understood communism as like labor laws, unions, uh, a stronger middle class, right? I never understood it in the terms that you're describing. So it was weird to me that when, you know, you have these people sort of fighting for equal rights and um, what you were saying, like a, like a rising of the working the working people, right? And everybody has their needs. Communism is very much a working class battle. So you, you don't sort of talk about that when you talk about your brand of communism. It doesn't, it didn't come up. Okay. Do you know what I mean? That it's actually a working class thing where you're trying to bring um, the oppressed or the working class, the labor force, into a position of power. Okay, I, I hear you. I hear you. Have you own. ever heard anybody talk about communism that way? No, I have not. The only, the only thing I have, I have heard is it suppresses innovation, it suppresses brilliance. Okay. Did you know that Marx says that communism, democracy, and capitalism must work together? And that in the breakdown, you have like slavery. And then you have sort of revolution, then you have capitalism, and then you have socialism. So you have to have socialism, or sorry, you have to have capitalism in order to have true communism. Communism cannot exist without democracy. And yet the democracy most people know is totalitarian communism, which is the Bolsheviks. Um, so like, I was re doing some research for this because I studied the Russian Revolution, through the arts um, in Ado, Ado, uh, and that 
it, it had so many different periods. It had Leninism, it had the Bolsheviks, and it went all the way until the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, right? Um, but fundamentally, that wasn't communism. Because in a communist society, you wouldn't starve your own people or mass or create mass genocide against your people. So it was marketed as communism. Okay, I hear you. So I, I mean, I, I, I would like to know whether there has been an example, a better example, anywhere in history, in any place. Okay, so let me talk about my, what my great grandfather did, because I think it's important um, to understand that he was one of the first communists. Like he started the South African Communist Party in the, at the beginning of the 20th century um, in order to fight for labor, the labor movement. And the blacks were being treated basically as slaves. The Afrikaners were being treated horribly. It was mining, you know, and it was dirty, unsafe work, right? It was had all kinds of health um, health effects on the workers, and they worked in all kinds of terrible conditions. So my great grandfather was a lawyer and saw what was happening and orchestrated mass strikes where everybody just didn't go to the mines that day. And he exercised and yielded power in the labor movement. And eventually, through generations, through his kids, my grandparents, eventually, and this process is slow, um, abolished apartheid, which was the white supremacist government, which arguably still exists today in North America, right? Like the white supremacist government still exists today in modern day times. Okay. So the same the same principles could be or are being uh, exercised in the Black Lives Matter movement with these like mass protests. It's like it's a different issue, but it's the same revolution where the average people are getting angry and are uh, making their voices heard. So. Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting perspective, and I hear you in terms of the method and the motion for moving it along. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking about is what you could call the state of the republic or the state of where we're at in most of what we call the Western democracies, where, you know, what you do have increasingly is the uh, sort of uh, the polarization of money and wealth. and uh, Which is exactly what happened in totalitarian communism, which, as I said, arguably isn't communism at all, right? right? So the same thing is happening with capitalism that happened there. Now you have a whole bunch of wealth in the hands of a few people, and that's exactly what happened with the Bolsheviks in Russia. There was a whole bunch of wealth in the hands of a few people, and the rest of the people starved, right? Right, right. Okay, so the question is, I guess, I mean, um, what's next for us? I mean, especially here over in North America and various uh, similar countries is like, um, how do we do the change constructively? Because on the one hand, there are all these companies and um, you know enterprises who are actually focused on innovation. They're actually trying to create products and services. It's not as if they exist without goals. They are actually trying to solve real problems. Even the biggest of the companies, they're trying to... Or they're just producing stuff that people just don't need. Okay. And just building, you know, producing plastic and things that don't biodegrade and decompose. And a lot of things that are built are, are not actually needed. Okay. So I think it comes down to the individual recognizing what's actually happening in their society, right? Watching where your money goes. It's important to pay attention to where you're putting your money 
and a capitalist side that makes people just buy whatever's cheaper the whole time. And I think constructively, we should more engage consumers. We should think about shopping local. We should think about sustainability and 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 buying secondhand and all that stuff to to reduce our overall need for these companies. Right? These companies are nothing without our money. Right. So what you're saying is almost like re-examining our values uh, and our priorities in life, and almost like uh, uh, starting over, right? In terms of. Uh, so my my father raised me um, on you know simple values, and he never supported you know Nike or any sort of corporate uh, clothing brand growing up because he didn't want to advertise for those companies. So you know the gap and. And all the roots and the fubu and all that. I wasn't allowed to have that because he didn't want to advertise for these corporations. So I think you have to realize that when you're you're, you're buying these products, you are buying into something. And even sports have a lot of corporate branding and affiliation. And when you're watching sports, you literally are also watching all of these corporate brands in the background, and you don't really think much of it, right? But fundamentally, your money when you put those, you know, it's all going to those corporations. Every dollar you spend at those games, you know, it's going into deep, deep pockets. Right. Okay. And so we need to uh, think about that every time we spend. It all, right. right. And you're you're almost saying that we're subconsciously being influenced by all the branding that we yeah. see around us. And to bring it back to communism, when I studied the Russian Revolution in at college. Uh, the graphic art of the Russian Revolution is the first graphic art in history, essentially. So it's the first time that art and text was put together to brand a revolution. So the Russian Revolution, in the early under Leninism, was branded by beautiful art. They commissioned all these amazing artworks, and I encourage anyone listening to go and research art of the Russian Revolution because it's stunning. But it actually was so influential and powerful as imagery. And all the imagery talked about the working class and fight with people, but then Stalin came in, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but Stalin was like a, a criminal even as a teenager. He tried to get funds for his party through um, like robberies and hostage taking hostages and all kinds of illegal doings. So Stalin was an evil person, and then he got control of an entire uh, like you know. Political party, and I guess the military. <laughs> okay, so and that story I think has been repeated over and over again. So now we're just using the brand in a different right. way. Right. Okay, I I hear you about like, and I guess today we have so many tools in terms of what can influence us. All the things that appear to be free, like you know, all the social media around us, and. So I think we're more. And the fact that we're being advertised there as well. Absolutely. So I think there's more influence than ever before, right? And I I think the question is then how do we step back as a people and uh, sort of um, uh, uh, you know think about it all over again, right? I say think local, support local, um, try and and get you know look at your community and get your money to. Companies that you believe in, whether it's from you know just a community level or a sustainability level, you like their product, and just give it a little extra second before you just walk into Walmart and buy the cheapest thing. Think about where it's coming from, right? How how uh, long it took here to <laughs> took to get here, 
all that oil. Um, it sounds simple, but for some reason people have a hard time thinking uh, where exactly their, their dollar is going, right? Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. One extra thought. Absolutely. So I think, you know, um, we so we need to come back and maybe talk about, you know, at least uh, some of the various community efforts that, you know, we've seen uh, in terms of, um, uh, you know, looking at life a bit differently. And so when we come back, maybe we can um, think about that a little bit more. Mm-hmm.